I remember when there was like ATP 2006, which was kind of the most crazy one, because that's when literally every noise band we know got invited, like Lamb's Bread played. That was the first and more curated one. Yeah, that was so ridiculous. That's literally like everyone we know was over. Oh, God, that was ridiculous. That was when the whole thing, that whole scene peaked, I would yeah, say. Yeah, that was yeah. definitely, that was also the last really cool ATP. Yeah. Oh, that God, was 2006. Yeah, it was yeah. bonkers. Very anarchic one. But um, yeah, so but, but there was this funny thing of like in the program, like first and wrote it, and you know, it was like there's all these bands we wish we could have invited. And like in you know, like there was like maybe 15 bands he mentioned, and one was Birds of Delay. And there was just all these British people, you know, and they were like, How did you do this? kind of thing. We we're like, Well, I mean it's actually quite a small thing. You know, like, it sounds crazy on paper or on the internet, but actually, if you go to those gigs, no one really likes it. And <laughs> it's literally just like the same 10 people. Hi, this is Jack Callahan, and you are listening to 400 Floor. You just heard from Stephen Warwick, formerly known as Heat Sick, and Luke Younger, who performs as Helm. But before their well-known solo projects, they were Birds of Delay. Formed during their time in Nottingham in the early aughts, they were a prolific group who came up during the burgeoning No Fun Fest era of the noise scene and proved to be hypnagogic harbingers, along with peers such as Emeralds and the Skaters. We talk about their roots in the UK punk scene, meeting Sonic Youth at ATP, and the bleak reality of touring the American Midwest. This episode has been edited from the full conversation, which is available at 400floor.com. That's the number 400 and the word floor.com. This is 400 Floor. Let's go on and get into it. Hey, guys. Uh, thank you very much for joining me. I've been looking forward to talking to you guys. And uh, I'll start out with Luke uh, right off the bat. Um, what was your early experience with music? Do you have early memories of music and like how did you get interested was it uh parents friends etc um my parents were pretty active in the folk scene um so as a child i used to get like taken to a lot of folk clubs and folk festivals and that's pretty much when when i first became aware of music i didn't really kind of take much of an interest in it myself until i was a teenager but yeah, I was kind of exposed to it pretty early on. I can definitely appreciate it for what it is now, um, but definitely, like, at the time, like, I was not a fan, you know. I hated it. I couldn't be... Uh, there was nothing... I'd rather be doing less, you know. Um, yeah. But as you kind of get older, you know, you kind of, like, start to... You look back on it and you kind of see it with different eyes, I think, you know, and I think there's... Uh, a lot of a lot of things about that which kind of play into um what i do now you know i mean like in in terms of like small diy music scenes um you know the the music's different but yeah the sense of community is still there yeah exactly you know yeah and there was like quite a big sense of community around like the folk scene that my parents were involved in you know like that was pretty much their social group of friends and were they musicians as well, or were they just fans? They were musicians. My dad played, um, well, I mean, they, they, they still play now. Um, like, he, he was a 
guitarist, uh, mandolin, concertina, um, and my mum sung and then played banjo later on as well. At what point did you start yourself getting into music? I imagine that uh, sort of separate from your your experience with your parents on your own, you know, you sort of got into your own. <clears throat> it was only really sort of, um, I guess, around the age of like 11, 11 or 12, like final year of primary school, really, when I kind of started to take an interest in it. And it was mainly just through like the charts, like, you know, pop music, but, um, you know, like w one of the first bands that kind of really like grabbed me was the, the Pet Shop Boys. And it was around the time when that, um, the album Very came out and just seeing the videos for that on the chart show. Um, like, I don't know if you have, if you've seen any of those videos, but they were kind of really like nineties graphics and like computer animation, I suppose, you know, but like very kind of, yeah, they, 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 there was just something about them that kind of really like resonated with me at the time. A lot of music now that people, you know, sort of like look back on, I guess, you know, like early Human League and yeah, Soft Cell and stuff like that, you know, like, I mean, yeah, that was actually like massive, like pop music in the UK that was in the charts, you know. So yeah, <clears throat> I guess I was kind of, through seeing stuff like that on the TV, um, you know, like, albeit like in the nineties, you know, like, I guess I, like I got to see electronic music a lot. Um, yeah. A, a lot more quickly in my life, I suppose. Um, so I mean like, yeah, the Pet Shop Boys was the first one that kind of really hooked me into music or kind of at least like got me like, made me feel like music was actually something that I could relate to. Um, you know, it wasn't just this thing that my parents did that I thought was a bit shit or embarrassing, you know, like I, I could have my own music that, um, that would, you know, mean something to me. Um, but I mean, I, I, I listened to, you know, like I was like really into like, you know, Nirvana, um, like Oasis, you know, Green Day, you know, like a lot of like, but like, bigger sort of like rock guitar bands as well um yeah it was just kind of more a case of like yeah if I found it interesting or if it kind of like you know like if it's made an impression on me I was like happy to listen to it if it was you know regardless of it being electronic or guitar orientated or you know I wasn't really particularly too like discriminating you know and there was you know like also around that time as well like dance music was really big you know like pirate radio was massive i wasn't getting into it but i mean i was definitely like you know you 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 would hear it um growing up where i did like you know there'd be a lot of pirate radio stations around so just flicking through the radio so like i, I, I grew up in initially in stratford which is like east london um and then we moved to sort of just northeast um a place called himes park like when i was about 10 and yeah, kind of like around there, like, you know, you had to, it's kind of not, not too far from Essex as well, you know, so there was a lot of places where you could run pirate radio stations, you know, and just flicking it through the, the dial on the radio, you'd, you'd pick up a lot of that stuff. I mean, actually, like, funnily enough, you know, it, it wasn't really me listening to it. It was like, I remember my dad's being quite curious about it at one point, And he was like, you know, I'd find him sort of just like listening to this, like, jungle stations 
and just being like, well, you listen to this, you know, it's kind of, is he, yeah. is he like a, would he be open-minded enough to like be interested in that? Or was it just like, what the fuck is this? I think it was like, yeah, maybe like a bit of the latter, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah, totally. yeah. But I mean, I, I guess it was kind of like an interesting cultural phenomenon as well, you know, like by, by the end of the nineties, you know, dance music was, it was absolutely massive. Um, but in, in a very kind of like in a very commercial mainstream way, and I guess that's kind of like towards the end of the nineties. Yeah. I was listening to like a lot of, you know, like bands like Orbital, Underworld, you know, stuff like that. Just from going to, going to gigs and, you know, like when, when I was old, um, old enough to start going to gigs and then seeing, seeing the support bands for, for bigger bands, um, you know, like I'm mean, going to see Sonic Youth and they had like v, VVM, and more for Genesis supporting, you know, and I guess that that would have been my first like experience of seeing stuff that was like more, more subcultural or, you know, like more underground or at least like things that I had completely no frame of reference for, you know. When did you start playing music yourself? How did you get into that? So I didn't really start playing until um, 2000, 2001 um 16 yeah so like i i started i joined the band um in in the south of england um that i kind of wasn't really that it was kind of you know it was cool i was just playing bass but it wasn't really what i wanted to be doing so i ended up starting a band with um some friends of mine um who I'd just kind of met from gigs, going going to gigs and stuff like that. Um, and that band lasted for about a year, but that was kind of like, I guess, my first real experience of playing um, DIY shows, uh, you know, like up and down the country. What was that band like? Uh, it, well, we, we were sort of really in, like, we were really, really into like a lot of the American kind of San Diego punk music, I guess. Like we kind of were essentially like a ripoff of a band like the VSS or something, you know, like that, that, that was a band that we were like really, really into, um, you know, but then we, we were kind of listening to, yeah, a lot of other stuff like click attack, Katawi, the more like sort of like chaotic, like post hardcore. So, yeah. So, so we, yeah, we, we had sort of like had a year with that band playing kind of as many shows as possible uh, until it imploded. <laughs> as they always do when, for high school bands. Yeah, exactly. It's a funny era of like, I've also talked to a lot of people about like, that I think maybe, you know, not to not to date anyone, but like it's our general, you know, uh, age group with sort of like, feels like the last people to kind of get into weird music from the starting point of like, quote-unquote rock band format as being like the sort of starting point for it and then getting into stuff from there yeah i mean like also like you know like 90s rock music was pretty pretty strange as well you know i mean like you had like a lot of uh i mean hearing a band like the butthole surfers on the radio you know like even, even like when when they kind of had that you know that that song pepper pepper yeah yeah which was like a, you know like i used to hear that song on the radio quite a lot you know and then you and you kind of hear that like i remember just sort of like hearing that and you know reading about the butthole surfers in magazines and stuff but not really like it was only really about 
probably about eight years later when I actually really got the the actual context of the band. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah, you see the big hit, the one that made it, and then there's this like whole ten year history before. That. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and like how that then links up with you know like a lot of other music or bands that you've been into as well. You know, it's kind of like yeah, you you didn't really you were hearing things back then but not necessarily getting the wider picture or the full context, which is, you know, completely different to now, I feel, you know. Um, Yeah. This is like, you know, high school band. And then like the scene that is important to all of us, the sort of, you know, noise scene, quote unquote, of the early thousands. Like, I'm curious of like what that sort of transition was from the more like Gravity Records kind of thing into sort of getting more into, you know, the scene that facilitate Birds of Delay, etc. It was kind of easy. I mean, like, yes, Steve could probably jump in here as well, because I guess we definitely we knew each other by this point and we were hanging out a lot, you know, so... So I'm curious, like, Steve, why don't we just real quick go back and then for you, what was your early experience with music and where did you grow up? Um, I grew up in a town called Spalding, like the basketball, and it's um, in South Lincolnshire. It's like a small market town. Um, but uh, like all of my family for like hundreds of years are from London. I'm the only family member not born in London. And, like, yeah, my dad had a bike shop, which was a joke shop as well in South London, New Cross. And um, he literally fixed your bike and then sold you practical jokes. Yeah, my family are very odd. But anyway, musically, uh, my family were not... They weren't, like, into music like Luke's parents were. But basically, I remember when I was five, my mum... Like, for my present, she, like, I joined the Masters of the Universe, like, He-Man fan club. And with that, you get a record. And it was just, like, He-Man, He-Man, did it, did And it kind of sounded a bit like Gary Glitter. But, like, my mum was playing the record, and it was on my fifth birthday, and I had no fucking idea what a record was. And she was just playing it, and I just was like, what? And I just started crying, because I was like, I have no idea what any of this is. And it freaked me out. So that was my first encounter with music. But then I really enjoyed it. And then we used to go to, like, in my primary school, we had, like, school discos. so like, in the assembly hall. And, yeah, I mean, you know, that would be, like, late 80s, like, 88 kind of era. So I was born in, like, 81. And um, basically, when we were kids, you'd hear, like, all these Acid House songs or, like, the kind of pop version of Acid House like you would hear kind of like the like commercialized parts of Chicago house was in, in the charts. And, um, yeah, I just remember think like, like basically like drinking loads of like Panda pops and like dancing like a maniac to all these songs and thinking like it was incredible. I used to really dance really hard as a kid. And I felt like music for me was 
I don't know. I just kind of lost it. It was great. Yeah, so that was like my introduction to music. And also I remember as a kid, uh, my mum took me to see Moonwalker by Michael Jackson. And there's a part in the film where he turns into like a cheetah, a spaceship, and like a rocket or something. And I was just like, whoa, anything is possible. That film totally blew my mind. And I was like, anything is possible. So I think like those three things made me think that music's really amazing. And then also, like, I used to sing in the choir when I was in, like, the second uh, primary school. Like, me and my mates always used to play football and then go and sing in the choir. But we did it as a money-making advent- uh, adventure because you'd actually get paid quite a lot of money. You'd do, like, three weddings and then a funeral and um, get paid, like, 12 quid, which was quite a lot when you were a kid. And... Um, yeah, I guess with that, I would, like, go to Peterborough and buy, like, cassettes. And I bought, like, Metallica or whatever. So. In school, did you have to take an instrument in addition to the choir? Did you learn an instrument? Um, just, like, recorder. Yeah, not really. Not really. But I, I taught myself guitar. At what point did you start making your own music or sort of decide, like, you wanted to do Ten. That? Ten? Wow, was, that's was, young. Yeah, I was ten and I formed a band and I just wanted to sound like Metallica. And I feel like me and two friends just formed a band. Are there any recordings of that? Mm, of the first band, no. But there is band. There is recordings of my other band when we were, like, 12. We were called Downfall. And we were, like, kind of... The drummer was really into Rush and then, like, the guitar <laughs> player... Yeah, I always was in these bands with, like, incredibly technical drummers. And then, like, the other guitarist was really into just, like, Nirvana and stuff. And then I was just into, like, anything. But I was always trying to push the envelope. So I guess when I was younger, I was into, like, Sonic Youth. But then, of course, as soon as I could hear Fushi Sushi, I didn't, you know what it's like. You just like anything. That How did you hear... Fusatusha at that point. Uh, John Peel. Yeah. Really? John oh, Peel. man. Yeah, that's like yeah. truly like an experience that uh, it's, it is not an American experience. <laughs> I mean, it, the, no. the closest thing is like listening to WFMU if you grew up in the tri-state it's area. It's kind of insane to th- like think about it now, but actually, but yeah, John Peel was like yeah. such a kind of mental thing for so many people here because it was, you know, that was mainstream radio and you you know you you just turn it on and you could just like two hours you could hear something that would just like potentially change your life you know at at, at that point in time yeah because that jump hill was really mental because it would play like fusich susha like drum and bet like spring hill jack or whatever then it would play like grindcore grindcore then it would yeah. play like the yummy fur then it would play like you know a brit pop band then it would play I don't know, some obscure funk song. Like, it just played whatever. And that was a really good education, I think, of just really just, there's no rules. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I really, it was, I used to listen to Radio 1. I mean, Radio 1 is, you know, the major station in Britain. But, like, I always remember once I fell asleep and then I woke up and it was basically an early episode of Blue Jam by Chris Morris. I'm not familiar with that. Oh, so Chris Morris is this kind of satirist slash comedian, but he used to do a radio show. And it was one of the weirdest things uh, I've ever 
come across in my life and you know like, like an experimental radio play or something like that yeah and i mean yeah. he, he also did stuff like nathan barley the day-to-day brass eye do you know that kind of stuff i'm not familiar with that no yeah please talk about that if it, i'm i'm uh, i'm not familiar um it was really extreme basically it was like genuine surrealism but like i feel like that deeply influenced all of my friends like all of my friends who make visual art and all of my friends who make music, everyone I like likes Chris Morris. I think it's like a huge marker. You know, you're like 14 years old and you're like, this is absolutely bonkers. Yeah, like late 90s television and radio was absolutely bonkers. Yeah, it was a lot weirder than... Everyone was on cocaine, basically. <laughs> garage maybe yeah that's the one and do you remember how we started talking <laughs> uh was it chris introduced us or? so yeah we did, it was basically steve's friend greg uh i'd been talking to on the internet oh really yeah because he sent me a message on a message board or something and was like my friend steve has a fanzine would you like a copy so he sent me a copy of Steve's fanzine. What was the fanzine? Was it Crowd Surf My Soul, Steve? Um, it changed the name of the issue each time. <laughs> right. It had a live review of a Fushit Sushi gig, a live review of a Slipknot gig, and <laughs> it had a story about going to see... Oh, ATP. <laughs> yeah, going to ATP without a ticket and... <laughs> Meeting Sonic Youth on the beach and managing to get on the guest list and get in. Yeah. So then we ended... So I I had Steve's fanzine but didn't know who he was. And then we ended up meeting, like, randomly at a Trans Am gig at the garage. What year was this? 2000. Yeah. Because it was a 2000 ATP. Actually, it's kind of funny that Greg introduced you to that because Greg didn't come to the ATP and I was kind of bitching about him in the review. Because <laughs> I was so pissed. Because I basically, I wanted to go to ATP. And I mean, I can tell you this story if you want because it's quite a funny one. Please. Yeah, basically, I wanted to, it's when I was still living in Lincolnshire and I wanted, I was in high school and I wanted to go to this, but you had to buy tickets in four. And it was at a chalet. And I was like, oh, fuck. None of my friends wanted to go. I was really pissed off. But then I'd met these two girls at Reading Festival the year before. And I wrote to them and was like, hey, do you want to go? And they said, yeah. So they lived in like the Forest of Dean, which is near Wales. And I just basically got a bus and went all the way to Wales 
met them, stayed over at their house, and then we all went down. Jesus, such a crazy journey, actually, to go from Wales back down to Hastings, which is quite far. It's, like, really far, actually. Yeah, that's a mission. Uh, But anyway, we did it because I really wanted to go. And then we turned up, and there was three of us, and, you know, you needed four. And basically we turned up, and it was sold out. And I just walked in, and we were like, hi, we really want to get a ticket. And they were like, I think it's sold out. And I was like, well, can we just talk to the office? There must be like a ticket sale or something. And then we turned up, and then we were like, hi, we really want to come. And then they were like, no, you can't, it's all sold out. And we were like, but we've come all this way. And they were like, like, I've literally gone all the way across England. And they were like, yeah, sorry. So then we were like, fuck. And then we were like, okay, we'll leave. And then we just kind of like walked. It was was on this like theme park, like a holiday camp, like this post-war. It's where like families would go on holiday by the seaside. So it's basically a holiday camp. And we were walking around and basically security started following us and i remember like they were like just behind us they were like yeah security security three people walking around um one guy two girls girl wearing t-shirts saying william william hake is a wanker or something like that oh no jack straw is a twat (laughs) um which he was like a tory politician and um and then i was like oh shit and then they basically escorted us out and I was like, fuck. And I was like, so, I was so bummed out. I was really sad. And I was like, oh, fuck. I like, really wanted to go to this. And then we were like on the beach, like drinking. We just literally sat on sand dunes in a, on a beach. And then we were just sat there drinking. And then like, you could hear these like, American voices. And then I was just like, fuck's sake, like, all these fucking Americans can come over and they can go to this bloody festival and I can't get a fucking ticket. And then, like, I went over to them because I was just like, how did you get a ticket? And then they were like, it was like Kim Gordon. And I was like, I was like, whoa. And I was like, you're Sonic Youth. And it was like, Lee, uh, not Lee Gamble, Lee Ronaldo, was it? <laughs> <laughs> then, like, uh, basically, we were like, I was like, whoa. And they were like, hi. And I was like, <laughs> I've come all the way to see your band. And they were like, really? I was like, yeah, I really like your band. And I was like, I've wanted to see you since I was 13. And they were like, you came all the way to see us. And I was like, fucking, yeah, of course I did. And they were just like, oh. And then I was like, yeah, we mi- actually missed school. Oh, this was really cheesy. I was like, yeah, we missed school to come and see you. And he was like, this is your education. And I was like, lol. Oh, my God. But like, <laughs> I know, yeah. so boomer, I loved it. And then <laughs> anyway, um, basically they were like, hey, like Kim Gordon then was like, hey, if you want, we could put you on our guest list. And I was like, what? And I was like, no, nah, no, it's okay, I don't mind paying. And then she just was like, no, really. Actually, she didn't even reply to it. She just was like, give, give us half an hour and then walk back in. And I was like, well, you better do it because we've already been thrown <laughs> yeah, out. Because you're going to make <laughs> all that yeah I, was, yeah, I was just like, look, I just got thrown out and they're really not going to let me back in. So you kind of have to make sure that we can get back in. Yeah. You know what I mean? I was like, don't fool me around. And yeah, then yeah, like, yeah. And then they were like, yeah, just come back, come walk through in 30 minutes. And then like, 
we go again, and then obviously this time they have security. And they were like, hello? And I was like, I'm on the guest list. And then they were like, yeah, right. And I was like, Sonic Keith's guest list. And then they, like, checked. And it was the same guy who'd thrown us out. And then <laughs> they were like, and then they were just like, oh, you appear to be on Sonic Youth's guest list. And I was like, fuck yeah, I am. <laughs> like, Amazing. And then I was just like, enjoy the job, babe. <laughs> like, <laughs> enjoy the rest in. of your day. Yeah. Um, so then you just had met through a show and then you became we became friends. friends. Yeah, just became friends, yeah. I mean, Steve was living up in Derby at the time. Um, yeah. But we had like a lot of friends in Nottingham and there was a lot of gigs happening in Nottingham. Um, so I was going up to, I'd go up to Nottingham a lot, you know, just to like see people and see shows or whatever. And Steve would come to Nottingham too. Yeah. yeah we just sort of ended up staying at, you know, friends' houses and stuff like that. Yeah, we'd always crash at the same house. Yeah. Because I, I, I was doing a foundation course in Derby and I, I was doing film and video course there. And um, yeah, like I was in Derby, but then like, you could, it was like the next town over from Nottingham and that's where all the cool gigs were. So me and Luke used to just go and stay at different people's houses. So we kind of also became friends because we would both sleep on like mattresses or sofas. <laughs> yeah, more just a, a functional yeah. friendship. Yeah, F- floor buddies. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we were both like bumming off people. And then... Um, what, like, what gigs were you seeing up there? Can you think of any notable ones? Um... We just get to whatever, really. Yeah, um, I mean, there was a lot of like just taught like touring American bands of the time. I guess you know that kind of like a- ATP adjacent world. Um, yeah, a lot of like punk and hardcore bands as well, because um, that was kind of pretty big around that time. You know, like I remember the Locust played once. Yeah, but I mean, like we went to see like. Ugh, I don't know. Just like all those bands on like Southern or Southern Distribution, but like. I remember I organized um, a gig for when sightings first ever came to the UK. Amazing. Um, I'm I'm curious, what brought you to the decision to start a band together? Uh, well, I had a band called Birds of Prey. The precursor to Birds of Delight. Exactly. And uh, the format of it, I guess, was... I kind of wanted it to be a bit like The Fall and have loads of like friends of mine in it who weren't musicians. So we like played and like, uh, yeah, it was kind of, also I was really into like Hijikaidan. So it was a bit like Hijikaidan meets The Fall. And um, I basically, there was a friend of mine. So I, I used to go to hardcore shows, but I never really liked hardcore. Like, I only really liked like, the Bad Brains, Void, and a bit of Black Flag. But for the most part, I didn't really care about hardcore. But, like, I, you know, you go to the gigs just because it's a social activity. And, like, there was a guy who was this straight-edge kid and called Tom Campbell. And, like, he actually formed a band afterwards called Mob Rules. But, like, he basically always wanted to be in a band. And he was, like, really hyper- and I was like, oh, why don't you join a, like, why don't you join Birds of Prey? Like, so I basically formed a band to be in with him. And um, he was like so hyper and I used to sing as well. And then I had a bunch of people play in it. But anyway, at one point, Luke came to see it and then I was like, 
oh, why don't you join Luke? So he did. Did it sound like the fall or was it just more that's the idea? No, it was more, I, it was more like the fall in the, the kind of like non-musical, like, you know, like in a film of having non-actors, like having non-musicians. It was essentially kind of like a noise core band in sound. Yeah, so, it was yeah, like, in the way it, it sounded. Was, it had like kind of like a hardcore energy, like Siege or something, but actually just... There was like, a live drummer. There was a drummer, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was always a drummer. But like it basically sounded like Hijikaidan or something. And we had a song called Work, and it was just about screaming, work. Did you record this? Is there any recordings of them? Uh, yes, there is. There's a CDR I put out once on my old CDR label. Oh, yeah. Uh, al- alcoholic narcolepsy. Narcolepsy, yes. Yeah. I'll have to find a rip on Soulseek or something. <laughs> Cute track. Yeah, it's a sick. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, they're, they're like basically those, like, Birds of Delay started because I guess, I think at this point, like, me and Luke may be, if not living together, at least in the same town a lot. And um, someone offered us to play a gig. And, no, we were in, like, I think maybe, like, Moog Bar or whatever in Nottingham. And then basically they were like, could you do Birds of Prey? And we couldn't get it. So we just were like, oh, why don't we do Birds of Delay? And it was, like, me and Luke with loop pedals. And that's how that band started. I mean, I feel like that's the story of just, like, the band is formed out of necessity, and then it's just like, oh, that worked. I guess might as well do it again. Yeah, and then, I don't know, we just... I mean, like, I remember Luke quite early on, around 2000, also really got into White House, which I didn't know before, so he showed that to me. I did know, like, the other industrial bands, but I didn't know them. And um, so I guess we went to see a lot of those bands when we were younger, too. So that's what I mean, like, you know, like, we were around this, like, hardcore-ish punkish kind of art rock kind of context but actually we were more into like electronic like that kind of electronic or industrial music also like when me and luke lived in nottingham um nottingham has this like history of kind of like cooperative like vegetarian cooperatives satanic society metal and then just general fucking weirdos yeah it was a really weird city it's an odd city it it kind of doesn't really have an identity like a lot of other British cities do, I guess, like musically speaking, anyway, you know. I mean, you had, well, you had earache from not that's true. So you had, earache, so you had like, yeah, that's so probably had, like it's it's like city. biggest, yeah, rock city. Um, but it's, it was always kind of a bit like all over the place, you know. Yeah, I mean, it would be like a bit indie and then like quite metal, and then like that guy, Steve, what's, what's Steve's last name? Underwood, Steve Underwood, exactly. And he would put on all the noise gigs. And um, our friend Chris worked in a record shop. So then uh, Steve used to go in. And then that's kind of how we met him. Because, you know, he was a generation older. And then he was like, oh, do you like noise? And we were like, yeah, we do, actually. And then we kind of met him. He booked the shows around. So this kind of is around the time, I guess, like 2005 or so. And this was like after... Like, you know, when the No Fun era had just kicked off. Mm. And um, me and Steve had gone over to the first one. Because of Mark Morgan. Because of Mark Morgan, yeah. Oh, amazing. So it was from that sightings gig that you booked. You became friends with them. And then yeah, through there. Exactly. Yeah, we became friends. And then Mark basically said to me, like, come to New York in 2004. There's this festival and you have to come. And he's like, you can stay with me. And me, Luke, and this guy, Vincent, went and... It was when Mark was living with the guy from Black Dice and we just stayed on 
their sofa for like a week. So this is 2004. This was like... That was 2004, yeah. So this was like right when you guys started doing Birds of Delay. Like you did... Yeah, more it or was less. like... It was about five months later. Yeah. 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 And then it's... We went to that festival and we just met like all of the American noise bands. It was actually ridiculous because, I mean, we knew sightings and we'd heard of like wolf eyes, but... Or we obviously knew stuff like Black Dice, but like we didn't really know the... Like we just basically like walked into this room and it was like you know 80 people all in bands yeah, and... yeah exactly they're all like probably 60 of them are playing the phone yeah exactly it's it actually... was like quite uh like overwhelming but really exciting as well at the same time and i just remember kind of coming back from that just feeling like super kind of like energized you know that we'd like actually got to experience something really special it was also really funny because, you know, like, you have to remember, like, me and Luke had been going to all these, like, British noise gigs where it was, like, we were, like, 20 and then everyone else was, like, 40 minimum. <laughs> yeah, there wasn't, there was no bridge between. Yeah, like, literally we were the only people under 40 at those gigs. And then, like, you know, you go. That's and... how the Acceptor show felt last night. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, like, you'd see, like, Condom or or, like, you know, what's it called, like, current 93 all those kind of bands and like they were just like 80s bands so anyway like we would go to those gigs even white house or whatever blah 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 but like it was all these people dressed in like you know all that industrial like military kind of stuff but that everyone stood at gigs they didn't dance and then we went to like no fun and it was like a rock and roll sh- you know it was really like the stooges or something and uh, yeah. me and luke were like I remember me and Luke were like shocked because, uh, oh my God, people like crowd surf to noise here. That's so weird. <laughs> yeah, totally. I, I was like, oh, we we're also like one of the very few British people there. So it was also like, I don't know, we were just novelties to them. It was just so weird. So from meeting everybody there, who did you stay in touch with after that? Well, we kind of kept in touch with everyone just because like, I guess... After this, like around this time, it kind of became quite transatlantic. So, like all these people that we saw yeah. play at No Fun started to come to the UK to play. So, you know, exactly. and then there was this like the yeah to go back to Steve Underwood again. He booked this uh, crazy like two week UK tour for Emil Bolio, Prurian, and Jessica Ryland. Oh, and yeah. we ended up playing quite a few shows on that tour. You know, like Wolf Eyes would play, and we'd we'd play with them. We did few shows with hair police but even like like when wolf eyes first came to britain i remember they played at atp and it was when dillaway was still in them and like we just walked up and we're like yo and they were like hey like i we we were just very lucky to have gone to no fun because like we just knew all of those people suddenly and it was like you know i mean it's like 50 people in america just selling each other cassettes and then uh, I guess that after 2004, you know, like obviously that music became not, I wouldn't say viable, but it, like it's, it definitely became more transatlantic. And like, I guess because of Steve, they would start to tour more. But I, basically, what was really funny is when Birds of Delay started, you know, we were kind of playing at these punk ish kind of places. But, you know, we just got so much shit for like, have you started playing yet? Ha ha ha, kind of thing, or, or just all the kind of crap. Yeah. Is this the same shit? Yeah, you know, all these kind you know. of like, and then literally six months later, all these motherfuckers had drone bands, and then you just be like, lol. But 
yeah, it, did, it did kind of start to catch on after but, a while. But no one ever, but no one did a Birds of Display. <laughs> <laughs> that was a one-off band I did. It With was y- like, you and Luke? Yeah, it was like four of us. And it was really, stu- that was literally like one of my art projects. It was so stupid. What, what, what was the concept? We put like paintbrushes on the ends of guitars and we're doing action painting, but like <laughs> really taking the piss. And we did it in a nightclub. We played with uh, Deerhoof. Yeah. <laughs> that was our first gig. I'm sure they liked it. Oh, they thought, no, they did. They loved it. They thought it was really funny. But we also... I think we played Liars Club in in Nottingham. So I think like Franz Ferdinand were DJing and then we played. It was it's an era, yeah. Yeah, it was like that phase when like it was just bonkers. I don't know, yeah. It was a weird time. the first thing that you guys released you started your label but then other people started asking you for you know cds or whatever yeah i mean we um i think like you know like luke would release some stuff and then i would release some stuff but i just remember like john olson thought that alcoholic narcolepsy was the best name for a label so he was very heavily promoted he was very supportive shall we say Actually, he was incredibly supportive. That's like the other thing about all this stuff. Like, you know, we really just used to do, like, copies of, like, 30 CDRs, which was, of course, totally normal back then because there really wasn't much of an audience either. Yeah, there wasn't much more than 30 people, realistically, that you were going to be able to get to listen to it, you know, so... Yeah, like, you know, like, Ashtray Navigations would make, like, CDRs of, like, 10 and, like, basically give them to their friends and, like, be like... And that was it, that's a release, you know. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking about it, it's like, well, we have SoundCloud now, but back then you had CDRs, so... It was really just that, and um, I always remember when there was, like, ATP 2006, which was kind of the most crazy one, because that's when literally every noise band we know got invited, like Lamb's Bread played. That was the first and more curated one. Yeah, that was so ridiculous. That's literally like everyone we know was over. Oh, God, that was... Ri- that was when the whole thing, that whole scene peaked, I would yeah, say. Yeah, that was yeah. definitely... That was also the last really cool ATP. Yeah. Oh, that God, was 2006. Was, yeah, it was yeah. bonkers. Very anarchic one. But, um, yeah, so, but, but there was this funny thing of, like, in the program, like, first and wrote it, and, you know, it was like, there's all these bands we wish we could have invited, and, like, in, you know, like, there was, like, maybe 15 bands he mentioned, and one was Birds of Delay. And there was just all these British people, you know, and they were like, how did you do this kind of thing? We are like, well, I mean, it's actually quite a small thing. You know, like, it sounds crazy on paper or on the internet, but actually, if you go to those gigs, no one really likes it. And <laughs> it's literally just, like, the same 10 people. Like, like I remember on, like, the Emeralds tour, Birds of Delay did, you know, in, like, what, 2007? You know, you go to, like, Michigan, and, like, there'd be, like, literally five people there. Yeah. <laughs> like, you play at the Warfighter's house, and, like, yeah, of course. Grey would jam, and, like, 
there's like five people there. Like yeah, no who weren't one... who weren't playing. Yeah, yeah, it would yeah. be like raise with Ray... a gig. Yeah, or like the the lamb's bread basement. You know, like same thing. Five people. Five people. You know? like, yeah. like like Cincinnati when like that was probably one of the first times we properly hung out with Spencer Yeh. Oh my god, that was really crazy because like. We were playing in Cincinnati and basically like a crack den. No, it was next door. It was like um, an art space, but like there was that one flyer. God, it was like one flyer advertising the gig and it was like facing inwards. (laughs) (laughs) And we were like, Jesus Christ. And I just remember it was like, I mean, you know, you'd like arrive and then people would be like, we can help you unload. Uh, and like obviously it was all people in this den and we're like no it's okay we're all right and then i mean you know it's like you're not going to make a song and dance about it but you're like no it's okay and then they'll be like oh you're english and then you're like yep and they'll be like what are you doing here and then like you'd be like god i mean this is such a crazy story isn't it so you just be like we're playing noise music we make cassettes and we're from england like because you're like how How's anyone going to pass that? Yeah, it's like, so, hope that works out for you. And then they just thought it was, people just thought it was hilarious. And they'd be like, oh, okay. And they were like, so what are you into? And I was like, it's kind of like rock and roll, but like noisy. Yeah, but it was really interesting to go through that rust belt because... Was that the first time you had been? To that part. To that part, yeah. We'd only ever been to like New York before. So to go there was really different because you like it was really quite bleak actually but like, <laughs> still is this, yeah yeah but in this kind of interesting way of like i just felt like wow you really are seeing the real america or whatever this is the emeralds tour yeah 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 yeah, yeah i don't know if uh, steve if, if you uh heard the the john elliott mike pollard podcast but john said that's the birds of delay emeralds tour was the most fun he's ever had on tour oh god sorry um yeah no that was a really funny tour because also like we'd met emeralds the year before it at no, no fun. fun. Yes. Basically, I was with James Ferraro and we were bumming cigarettes. And then we were walking around like trying to bum a cigarette from people. And then these people were really high on acid. They were like, thank you for existing. And then we were like, <laughs> okay, cheers. And then it turns out that they were emeralds later on. And um, <laughs> that checks out. Yeah. And that was like their first tour. But anyway, like also it was our, or my, our first experience of like really going to like the Bible Belt. And you'd go to like petrol stations and there'd be like, you know, like God Squad cassettes everywhere. Or I remember, I always remember once we went to like a Pizza Hut and, uh, you know, like us lot eating. And then I remember John put on Britney Spears 10 times in a row on the jukebox and we left. (laughs) (laughs) Which I thought was quite funny. Yeah, it sounds like John. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. The endearing thing about that sort of era and crew of people is those are some of the funniest people I've ever met. And still to this day, yeah. I mean, you know, maybe it's uh, just a particular sense of humor, but it's just—it's still to this day. I, I've—I don't know if I've met funnier oh people. Oh God, yeah. yeah. I think mm. it really was kind of the time. It was like this, like weird Bush era of like I don't know. Like I don't want to get too theoretical, but like I just feel like after nine eleven, I feel like between that until the financial crisis, it was this like weird fucking like freefall of just chaos. Like I. I I, I I really enjoyed all of those no fun fests because they were so demented. I mean, it kind of feels in a way like a, a, a lot of these bigger events kind of helped to like facilitate 
a lot of what was going on around then as well. It, you know, it, it would be kind of like the yearly, like, meet-up, I guess, where you knew you would kind of see everyone. And then off the back of that would come all sorts of stuff, you know. And it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't calculated. It was just... No, not, yeah. Like, it's, it's going to happen. Like, it's know, not it like... very organic. Yeah, it's not like we went to meet people in New York. We just went because our friend invited us and we had no, actually had no idea what was going on. Also, like, this is kind of important to mention, but, like, at the time, the pound was really strong. So it was, like, two to one. So I remember any time we go to New York, we'd be like, yeah. It's like, yeah. It was half price. And half like, price, and it was everything, yeah. Also, it was 200 quid to fly with Virgin. It was this weirdly surveillance time, but at the same time, it wasn't. It was just kind of lawless. <laughs> curious about sort of then the progression from there you know like because you guys were a band for six years or something seven years six years it's longer than that i think it was longer like almost that, 10 yeah. really almost 10 mean, years oh okay when we were active in in terms of like i would say from the first show yeah. till the last show we played it was probably like i would say nine years perhaps but we had this weird period as well towards the end where we stopped playing instruments like we got very pretentious of course yeah but, uh, well so what did you do what did you play we played cards <laughs> <laughs> I can't even really remember where, why we started doing this, to be honest. What it was, was, you know, other people we knew were, like, popularizing drone music, and we felt like maybe it was getting a little bit kind of formalized. And so I felt that we were being partly reactionary to that, but also not just reactionary. I felt we were just also like, oh, I don't want to... I don't want to do all this drone stuff on board. We'd also kind of hit a bit of a wall with it. Yeah, we'd just done it. And we're like, we'd, I we'd don't... done it. Yeah, we'd, we'd kind of done it as like, as well as we could have. We've been doing it for like five or six. No, we've been doing it for six years at that yeah. point. And we were like, do you know what? Like, it's fine. They can have it. <laughs> well, yeah, when Whatever. you see something that you'd been doing for so long and it kind of just becomes this hypnagogic pop. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, it's fine, but I don't care. And by this point, you guys were doing your own solo stuff in addition. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I mean that came that that was sort of going on around the time. Yeah, it kind of happened at the same time because I'd moved to Berlin in two thousand six, so we both kind of inevitably started to be more solo. But then we just make like Birds of Delay would just literally be like what I was doing in Heatsick and what he was doing in Helm, just playing together. I assume this is documented on something, on some releases. I don't like, think it is. Really? Okay, yeah, because yeah, I was going to say, I, I don't think it I ever really was, because the, there like, was yeah. like a lot, like the last few shows, yeah, it was kind of, um, I mean, that, that was kind of like a funny, a funny time in a way, because it was, uh, you had that, like, that, that transition from the end of the 2000s into the early 2010s, where I think everyone that was around in our like noise scene or whatever had sort of made this transition into doing something different. And then that kind of started to get 
attention from the more kind of electronic, established electronic world. So, yeah, so, so then you had people like us, Pete Swanson, even like Dominic, you know, like people who've like known each other for like years and now like playing with each other again, but in this completely different context. Yeah, 10 years later. Yeah, Ren too. Yeah, and even, yeah, Emeralds as well. It's kind of like, that was sort of like the bridge from the noise world into this newer kind of... But it was like a really funny time, to be honest, because I remember like, I mean, me personally, I... I think I just found, like, the noise world was getting a bit too nihilistic for me, and I just wanted to, like, escape from it. So, for me, and also I'd been living in Berlin for a while. I I just got exposed to dance music in a different way, to be honest. And, like, I'd been aware of it, you know, obviously for a long time, but I think socially it changed for me because, you know, when I was growing up, like... People in Lincolnshire listening to drum and bass were like max power kind of lads. And then, like, you know, you'd go to like cool gay clubs in Berlin and you'd be like, oh, it's nice here and like the music sounds good, or, you know, like the sound is good, or you could watch. For me, like, it was a big thing of seeing like Scion, S C I O N, that chain reaction band. They were played at like three in the morning in Berkheim once and they just had an ambient set of these loops and I remember being like whoa I play music like this but you could play it like it you know it's allowed to play you can you know it's possible to play this in a nightclub and that's the sound is way better and like people dance to it and that's really I just found it super cool to be honest when I like made this effort for like heat sick to be my kind of more beat based or something it was really like actually it was a gig I played in a record shop with it was like Steve Houseshill and Mark Maguire. I organized the gig for him actually. And then it was the first time I played Heat Sick in that, you know, like where I was like looping the drums on the Casio, like on my own. And that's when I it was it literally just been like an experiment for me. Cause I was like, oh, what if I had the same things but with a drum beat on top? And then I just did it. And then I just kept doing it. But I guess what I'm trying to say and what Luke was saying earlier was it's just weird how, you know, I mean, def- speaking for myself on this, but I feel like Luke also probably had a thing of like, you know, like a- around that world, a lot of things were getting very formalized and a bit boring. So uh, certainly for me, I wanted to like try something different. But then like, I guess like a lot of other people, it became a thing and like it inevitably does. And then, like, I remember playing a thing with, like, 100% silk or something, and you'd be like, oh, God, everyone's playing this. And you'd be like, yeah, you know. The kind of, like, lo-fi, lo-fi house. Yeah, like, the lo-fi house thing became a thing. And I was like, like, I'm playing a fucking Casio because I don't have any money, you know. (laughs) It's like, this is not an aesthetic choice. This is necessity. Yeah, I was like, if anything... I wanted to sound like Patrick Cowley stuff, but I couldn't afford the equipment. But I mean, that, that keyboard that you were using for the early Heat Six stuff was the same one you were using for the Birds yeah. of Delay tours, you know. And that, all of the keys had fallen off on the Emeralds on the on the tour we did with Emeralds. <laughs> Amazing the origin story. But that's where we can thank um, what's his name, that dickhead from Jackie O, for like throwing my keyboard across the room. Oh, yeah. God. But like, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. It's it is it is interesting talking about that 
era, that transitional era where, you know, I don't know what your experiences were at the time, but, you know, like the David Keenan, you know, the hypnagogic pop era or something like that of coming out of like the noise scene and there being an understanding that there's like maybe a little bit, there could be more at stake. The, the ceiling was a little bit higher. Yeah, for it was like, yeah, like where I think some people kind of started to maybe get a sense of like, oh, this could. It could actually pan out for me. No, I could go no somewhere intended. with this, you know. Yeah, it was just a kind of very, just a bit of a different time, really, you know. And like, I think a lot of people were just sort of like getting, yeah, just like offered shows and gigs that they never would have expected to get, you know. And I also think a lot of the people, you know, like the people around it, like the festival bookers, the journalists and stuff, you know, that were writing about it, they didn't have the same kind of like contextual understanding that we necessarily had for each other's own work, if that makes sense, you know, because they... Of course, yeah, you arrived at this place from somewhere else, you know, if you don't know that, you would contextualize the work a lot differently. Well, this was the thing where, you know, we'd, we'd gone from like playing noise shows for nothing to then all of a sudden playing these gigs where people are actually going to pay you money. Yeah, you know? or just having a booking agent or like going, or, or like, you know, getting an artist visa and going to America and playing like, you know. Yeah. Like having those kind of things. and that, Which are just things that we'd never even comprehended before, you know. We've never had to. Yeah, because you basically didn't. You know, I mean, you did basically used to go as a tourist. Like, you certainly didn't make money. <laughs> like, you were, just, yeah. you were just basically like, yeah, you would literally just go and hang out. But then, like, you would go and then, I don't know. Yeah, it was just, it, I, I, I'd say what's different or funny about that period is when you think about, like, I've met, like, younger people and they're like, oh, look, well, I think that time has also changed now, thank God. But I remember around, like, 2017 or something where people would be like, 23 and moved to Berlin and they'd be like, oh, if I'm not on the, like, boiler room within six months or playing at Trezor or Berkheim, like, I'm, I, you know, like, I'm having, I'm freaking out about my career. And I'll say, dude, like, I play in the fucking basement to 10 people for the last 10 years. Like, yeah. chill. Yeah. But I mean, what I kind of like, what I do sort of like about the whole era, you know, that, that era of noise as well is like so much of this, so much of the music that was made and released was pretty much documented only on a format, which is pretty much now obsolete. Yes. You know, yes. so like you so can't many even play these, it. Yeah. yeah literally like I, can't play it. I, I imagine all of these CDRs that we release now are just completely unplayable. Yeah. You they're know? all, the foil is, is peeling off of them. Yeah. So there's something kind of beautiful about that in a way, you know, this is kind of, yeah, there was it's a, like, it was a transient, a transient thing. Well, I mean, thankfully, everybody put out 500 different CDRs. So at least, you know, by rule of, you know, uh, probability, yeah. at least some of those will still be around. Yeah. And it's, and it's all on SoulSeek. Exactly. Oh, my <laughs> that's God. That's true, actually. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah, that's how, I, that's how I'm going to get all the music for this podcast anyway. So yeah. um, <laughs> I think that's a pretty good place to tie the bow at. Mm-hmm. Cool. Thank you guys so much for, for joining me. I'm glad after our there's some slight technical difficulties in the beginning, you guys stuck it out for, for all this time. Yeah, yeah no, thank, thanks for bearing with us. Oh my god, yeah. of course. Yeah. No, this is great. All right, Jack. Nice awesome. to no, nice one. Yeah, yeah. great. Yeah. Cheers, Jack. Yeah. Talk to you guys soon. See ya. Together. Yeah. Bye. Bye.
Thanks to Stephen and Luke for joining me to speak about their lives in music and beyond. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe to 400 Floor wherever you get your podcasts. To hear the raw and uncut version of this episode, plus much more bonus material, you can purchase it at 400floor.com. That's the number 400 and the word floor.com. 400 Floors, a podcast produced by Nina Protocol, where two musicians pair up to talk about their roots individually and together and reflect on the communities that shaped them. We'll be back in a few weeks with another deep dive. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.